Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, we're actually taping this on the night of the college football playoff. We decided we would go at halftime, and oof, it's a... Uh, it's been a rough half for TCU right now. Any chance they come back in the second half? Not unless Jalen Daniels shows up because he's the king of the comebacks. But, no, I mean, this is uh, – I think if you're TCU right now, you're just trying to stay face and try to make it as close as possible. Yeah, just try to get a get a, another touchdown and see, see what happens in the second half. But, uh, uh, yeah, a little disappointing. I'm maybe not completely surprised. Uh, Georgia's so good. I think, you know, like you – like you thought that win against Ohio State just kind of maybe got them kick-started, and, and, and they're really playing well. Yeah, I mean, they've been the best team in the country this year. And, you know, look, it's it's not that TCU's a bad team or anything like that. I just think maybe they're a little shell-shocked by the moment. And, you know, Georgia's used to playing in this game. And, uh, I mean, they went out and, you know, they beat the Big Ten champion. And let's not forget, the Big Ten's second best should have beaten uh, Georgia. They should have, and but did not. So, uh which I was thrilled about. No, but no, no, no bones there. I didn't. Last thing I wanted was Michigan, Ohio State, um, national title, and to get TCU, Georgia. Uh, that was that was my game. So hopefully it'll uh, it'll get a little better in the second half. So we'll we'll get kick started tonight. Take a, a little look at the Ad Astra schedule this week. High school. Uh, back everybody back there was some kind of some split games last week not everybody started on Tuesday some got going on Friday but it's a a full schedule this week on Tuesday and Friday of high school and then of course the the Warriors and uh, Bethany on Wednesday Saturday and uh, KU back in action we'll talk about them as well Um, looking at the schedule on Tuesday Brad uh we have Little River at Gossel, and I looked through the schedule, and uh, nothing's really popping out to me. There's not one of those, you know, sexy, high-profile games this year. What do you see as a, maybe a sneaky good game on Tuesday night? Well, you know, I, I do think that our games, uh, we're going to be at the Gossel-Little River games. You know, Gossel's kind of a – it's an interesting school in that it seems like if they're not contending for state championships – they just that they still have enough athletes to compete, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that just kind of seems to be the case for both Gossel teams this year. Uh, I did cover Gossel football. Uh, they had a uh, mercy rule win over Pretty Prairie, but they had about five or six guys out in that game hurt, uh, starters in, uh, in that game. And I just remember thinking, man, if this Gossel team was healthy, how you know how good would they be? I mean, you could have almost had a uh, an all star team of Pretty Prairie and, and Gossel guys that night uh, that were hurt. But, but alas, you know, they, they, they weren't healthy. So, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I do think that Little River wins both games. But, you know, something tells me that, you know, especially on the boys' side, it might be a little bit closer than we think. Yeah, it's actually a rematch from uh, the early season tournament weeks on the boys' side. It was a 20-point Little River win. A uh, little surprised by that. The records, I think, are, if I remember right, are like 5-2 and two in, uh, for Little River, 4-3 and three for – Gossel, I'd have to double check, but that's what sticks in my mind. I, I too think that'll be a little closer the second time around. The the girls' side, um, I think Gossel's got a solid team. I think their record's like five and two, but oh, Brad Little River is really, really good. If I wrote down and I need to double check this, um, I saw the score. Sometimes Max Preps might be a little off, but did, did you see 
Little River score from last Friday against Peabody Burns, the girls' side? Yeah, I, I did. And, boy, poor, poor Peabody Burns. It's, uh, it's, it's a rough go for Peabody Burns. Oof. I, 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 thought it, I thought that was mis, misinterpreted or mistransposed or something on there. But, um, you know, Little River, they lost a couple of, of really good players last year. But I tell you what, they have got some size and length, and their guard play has improved from last year. They're, they're going to be a really, really tough out. Right. Yeah. They're, they, they will, they'll be a tough out. And, you know, I think that, um, when, when, when you look at little river, especially the, you know, the girls undefeated so far. And, uh, I, I know that they'll get it. I know that they'll get a test with Gossel and, uh, but you know, Gossel's only got two losses. They lost an overtime to Canton Galvin and they lost uh, to a pretty good central Christian team. But, uh, you know, I just keep going back to what little river's got to face come substate. I mean, I've never seen, and I hate to say this because it's, you know, you never say never, but, Scott, have you ever seen a sub say what like what the Little River? You've got, if I'm not mistaken, both defending state champions in one A in Pretty Prairie and Central Plains. You have undefeated Little River. You've got a Fairfield team from all accounts may have their best team in a long time this year. And let's not forget about good programs like St. John and Maxville. Mm. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's shaping up kind of like the 2A boys over in Sterling that's got, you know, Mound Ridge and Sterling and Ellenwood and Inman and Trinity and Berene Academy. Um, yeah, those are uh, unfortunate for um, those teams. There could be at least um, two or more teams very worthy <laughs> being at state and only one is going to get there. It's yet again another, I don't know, we, that's probably a subject for a different time of, of trying to do something with these sub-states being so loaded and some being so weak. Um, um, we, we probably need a lot more time than tonight to discuss that. Yeah, and I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to get you off track on Peabody <laughs> Burns, but yeah, they've, uh, they, they, they've uh, boy, 60-5 to Gossel won that game. And, uh, boy, I was looking at Peabody Burns' schedule when I saw that score. You, you don't think maybe it's an it's, uh, anomaly or something like that? No, they've lost 50 to 9, 69 to 3, 51 to 2 and 48 to 11 so far this year. At least those are the scores that have been reported. But yeah, I think the, the but the Little River game I think was 97 to 5. Oh, I didn't even see that. That's a list on the Kesha website. My goodness. Um wow. I I I don't know what you can really say about that. It was 94 or 97. I don't have it right in front of me, but yeah. Um that's uh oof, that's brutal. So <laughs> Uh, uh, Bueller, Mulvane, Smoky Valley at Hillsboro, Mac at Augusta, Trinity at Inman, and Central Plains at Sterling. Lions at Larnard is Tuesday's schedule. And Friday, as you look through it, uh, you got Heston Lions, Bueller Circle, Larnard, Smoky Valley, Mulvane, Mac, uh, Sterling, Trinity Catholic, Inman, Marion, um, Again, just nothing really jumps out at me. I think there could be some good games in there, but, you know, we've had those like Sterling Inman and, and those to talk about. We just don't have those high-profile matchups this week. Who'd you say Inman plays on Friday? They play at Marion. Okay, and I know the Marion's had some decent teams. I'm trying to find their their uh, their schedule. You know, Inman girls are 4-4. Four and four. They got that really good freshman that you and I were talking about. Uh, she had 31 points in a game last week. And uh, Marion girls are what three and three and five or something like that. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not not many high profile matchups, but uh, potentially some uh, competitive matchups. 
I think Sterling Trinity Catholic boys, if I remember correctly, I think Trinity knocked off Marine Academy boys um, on Friday night of uh, last week. So that could be a, a, a sneaky good game as well, a game being played in Hutchison. So um, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about those games and see how those work out this week. Again, anything we're talking about on Ad Astra is up on adastraradio.com. You can go to the sports page and take a look at the full high school schedule for this week. And then next week, it, it seems weird, Brad. It's going to be midseason tournament weeks next week. I've already got the uh, Sterling Invitational bracket. came in my email today. You know, we cover uh, Sterling and Hillsborough, always two really good tournaments. We cover the ones usually in uh, Sedgwick and all around the area. So that, that that's going to be a fun-filled week next week. Oh, you mean basketball? I thought you were talking about the hospitality rooms. Well, that yeah. I mean, we we, we do games while we're there, but we're we're there for the food. <laughs> I know that. Uh, seems like I, I spend a lot of time uh, in Burton for their tournament, and uh, that's usually a pretty fun tournament. You got the likes of Little River and Berean and Central Christian, Gossel. I think uh, Fairfield's usually there. Inman's usually there. Uh, I know that's always a good tournament. Sterling seems like they have a really fun week over there because they play the both. They're one of the few tournaments that plays boys and girls, just like Hillsboro does. So definitely should be a. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. A pretty good week of basketball. Yeah, it, yes, it will be. And we mentioned um, this Tuesday night the Kansas Jayhawks are back in action as they take on Oklahoma on Tuesday and then Saturday. Let me scroll down here. They're also home against Iowa State. Well, Brad, the Jayhawks had quite a week last week. They're now 14-1. and They're 3-0 and in the Big 12 after going to Lubbock, getting a 75-72 win at Texas Tech, and then 76-62 win Saturday at West Virginia. It was Dewan Harris in the Tech game leading the way with 18. Jalen Wilson had 16 in the West Virginia game. Uh, Grady Dick, 16 points, five rebounds, and uh, Jalen Wilson, 14 points, 14 rebounds. And I think one of the most improved and streaking players is uh, K.J. Adams right now. He had 14 against West Virginia, but those are two high-quality road wins for KU last week. Yeah, I'm gonna. we talked last week about how even if they could just split, it would be a good thing. But I'm going to go out on – I don't know if it's going out on a limb here, but I'm just going to call it now. Kansas's next three games, home to Oklahoma, home to Iowa State, and at K-State. And actually after that, they have TCU at home. But uh, we're going to put that one aside for just a second. If Kansas goes 3-0 and these next three games, they're going to win the Big 12. Uh, now, I would yeah. – <laughs> I, I, I know it's not going too far out on a limb because they've won it so much, but it's only six games after these next three, just a third of the way through it. And the fact that the, if they win these next three, you'll are, they'll already have wins at Tech, West Virginia, and K State. And there's going to be there's going to be teams that go there and lose. And um, you know, the, and also, you know, Iowa State's obviously they seem to play better against Kansas and Lawrence than they do in Ames, and that'll be a pretty tough game, I think. But you know, th- those are two pr- two pretty gritty wins. I saw a national or a former national reporter who covered the Jayhawks for several years said that, you know, th- th- this, he said this, this KU team seems to be a little more stoic than last year's team, a little bit more serious. He thought last year's team kind of had fun a lot. You know, they seemed to get along great, and they just seemed to have fun out there. And, he, and I'm not saying that he was saying that they're not having fun or anything. They're just kind of a different makeup, you know, more serious-like out there. And he also thinks that eventually, I don't know if you remember this or not, you know, what was, what was a big 
a big coaching decision that Bill Self had late in the season with Christian Brown last year. Do you remember what he did with Brown a, a little bit late in the year? Uh, I do not. He posted him up a little bit. Yes. He thinks that they, they, we might see the same thing with Grady Dick right uh, c- coming up at some point. And uh, he also went out on his way saying he thinks that Grady Dick is Kansas's best player. So uh, it, it definitely makes for an interesting dynamic. Uh, I think that, you know, they just have a good uh, mix of players this year. They got the older players like Jalen Wilson and, you know, KJ Adams has really thrived. And you got Dewan Harris, who's maybe the best uh, point guard in the country. And of course you got Dick who's, God, I almost hate to say it because they've had so many great freshmen. He might be, okay, maybe not the most talented freshman they had, but in a Kansas uniform, he might be the most talented, except for maybe Wiggins. Yeah, I, I tell you what, they've had so many good freshmen over the years, but Wow, the start he's off to, I don't think it's a stretch to say he may be the best one um, they've ever had as a freshman. And then I'm also starting to see some new some new names like Zach Clements and then Zuby Ajayafor, I don't know exactly how to say that, and Joseph Yesifu, some, some new names starting to get some minutes, um, 16 minutes actually for Yesifu in that game against West Virginia. What, what do you think about some of the guys – that are starting to work into the lineup a little bit more. Yeah, I like Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford and guys like that. You know, you know, I, I really hope that Zach Clements can find himself because I think that he's got a lot of talent. I mean, last year he came after his injury, came in late against Oklahoma State and single-handedly changed that game uh, with his defense, and he hit a big three-pointer in that game also. So I, I just I, – he's really struggling to fit in right now. But, yeah, I think the depth's coming around nice and – um you know, I think that Kansas, they're, they're, they're already showing that grit, that toughness that you need to win games in the Big 12. Yeah, they, they do. And again, two home games this week, so important. You know, you can talk about any level of, of sports, especially basketball, but when you're at home and it's a conference game and you're trying to win the conference championship, those are games you have to hold serve on your home floor. And they, they got to do that against Oklahoma and a ranked Iowa State team. Right, and you know Kansas at most, you, you you would think anyway at most is going to lose one conference home game, and that's that that's at most. And so with that in mind, they go what eight and one at worst at home in the Big Twelve, and they've already got two road wins. So and you got to figure that eight and one at home, and right now, what at worst, at absolute worst, five and four on the road. Oh, I think at the worst, yeah. At, I I couldn't see five, four losses on the road in conference, but I mean it could happen. As you as you mentioned during our high school game last week, that the the ten toughest uh, schedules remaining in the the country are the the, the Big 12's ten teams schedules. Right, that's, and that shows you just how how how, t- how tough <laughs> the Big 12 is going to be this year. Um, I mean, you got probably right now eight NCAA tournament teams, right? Oh, yeah. I, I would I would say absolutely. Man, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, Scott, to see how all the shapes out. You know, I think Kansas and K-State are on crash course at least next week to have a, uh, you know, sold-out Bramlage and national television audience. Well, what in the world? You mentioned it. I got it written down here. Is gotten into K-State, Brad. They have an identical record as KU, 14-1 and overall, 3-0. and in the Big 12, they've shot into the national rankings to number 11 after, and rightfully so. You go to Texas and win 
116-103. And what do you do? You follow it up and go to Baylor and beat Baylor 97-95. to What in the world's gotten into the Cats? Well, I think a lot of it is their coach. You know, Jerome Tang, is, uh, he seems to be like an enthusiastic kind of guy, and I think that's rubbing off on his team right now. And they're playing at a high level. They're, 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 they're scoring well. Uh, I'm not sure if they played a team that defends like Kansas yet, uh, although Baylor's pretty close to that. You know, Baylor does defend the heck out of you. So, uh, but we'll see you next Tuesday. I think, uh, I think uh, and this is where I think those wins over West Virginia and, um, oh gosh, uh, and Texas Tech are going to help Kansas next week. Uh, I mean, very few places have been more uh, difficult to play at than those places. Of course, with Kevin McCuller going back to Texas Tech, that was a hostile environment. Uh, Grady Dick was uh, the, the, the public enemy or the, the, the opponent of the game, if you will, in West Virginia. So I don't think the environment's going to be anything different for Kansas. I, I just think that there'll be more. I'm not saying that Kansas is going to win. I just think that it's not going to be anything that's going to bother them. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, and I think because of how difficult the Big 12 is this year, I don't think they're going to be looking past either game this week. Again, that matchup against K-State is a week from Tuesday in Manhattan. That may be the biggest that may be the biggest game in Manhattan for for certain in recent memory. So, yeah, that place will be packed and rocking, and we'll see how that works out again next Tuesday. Again, all KU games can be heard if you're away from home on 94.7. Well, we move uh, – stay with college basketball. We go down to the NAIA level, Brad, the Sterling men and women's teams – Back in conference action last week, if you were seeing double, you were correct. It was the Avila Eagles on Wednesday, the Oklahoma Westland Eagles on Saturday. Well, let's start in order on Wednesday night. The women, Brad, they came out against a, an Avila team that has been struggling this year. Um, it was close early, and then they, they laid the wood down after the second quarter going on to win 82-58. Uh, Carson Schultz, you're going to hear me talk about her in both of the games this week, Brad. She is, she's leading the conference in scoring. Um, her rebounding is just about to catch Taya Wilson on the Sterling team for rebounds per game. Um, she's just playing at, uh, she's playing at a player of the year level for Sterling right now at 19 and seven against Avila and had, um, 18 and nine and four assists against Oklahoma Westland. Taya Wilson had 16 points in one half of basketball. She twisted an ankle in that Avila game, a little bit of a scary moment, but she played a full game uh, at a high level on Saturday. We'll talk about in a little bit. So she's fine. Um, Faith Martin gave him a big pop off the bench, 13 points, five rebounds. And it, and then they turn around against an Oklahoma Westland team that last year shot the three better in, in live in any game I've ever seen. That's a little different makeup. Um, and they beat them by 40. And again, it was this time Corinne Clayson off the bench, led him with 19 points. And Taya Wilson, 16 points, eight rebounds. With her third rebound in that game, she moved into second in the all-time rebounding list at Sterling Brad and and I'm told if she stays on a similar pace as she's going, she could finish in the top 10 all-time, Brad, in rebounds, scoring, blocks, and steals. <laughs> Filling up the stat sheet. You got to love the kids who do that, don't you? And she just, 
and she's just that engine that never quits. Yeah, the I I, I appreciate that they can go out there with this. I mean, the the, the depth seems to be getting better. Uh, I, I you look at the standings right now, and it looks like that the top seven teams have separated themselves. Uh, St. Mary and Ottawa tied for six right now, have a two game lead on the teams right underneath them. So Sterling's. You know, they're, they're obviously not out of the woods yet. You know, just one game ahead of Bethany, two games ahead of Friends and Tabor and, and, and K-Dub. And, of course, they have that one loss. Uh, that was a Tabor, correct? Correct, at home. Yeah, yeah. so – and they still have to go to Tabor. So, definitely not out of the woods. I mean, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. But I, I like the way that they've come out here to start the second semester with the, with a couple comfortable wins, you know, at home, which is what you which is what great teams they're, – they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go out and take care – of these games. And it goes back to what I said about their game on New Year's Eve against Mid America Christian that even though they lost, I think they probably learned a lot more about that, about what they have in that kind of game instead of maybe getting, you know, a nice easy victory over, you know, somebody that they're going to beat by 40. So uh, I think that, I think that, that could be a huge ally playing that game before New, uh, on New Year's Eve against a quality opponent because um, they went out against Avalon in uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan and just absolutely dominated both games. They, they, you know, the depth's getting even better. I think, what, seven or eight players played at least 10 minutes against Avalon. You look at the uh, the Oklahoma Wesleyan box score, again, eight players played at least 11 minutes in that game. So the, the depth's getting, the, the, you know, uh, Coach Bassett's able to play a lot more players right now. And, gosh, I mean, I, I look at what Schultz and Wilson, Clayson, I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, Albright's still contributing what she can, what she does. And uh, it's got to be, you know, I kind of envy you, Scott, because in some ways it reminds me of all those years I covered Blue Dragon ba- uh, basketball. And I saw, you know, the glory years with John Anches. And it was so much fun covering those the, those women's teams over at Hutch. And I, and, and I imagine you're probably kind of going through the same thing right now. Just it's got to be so much fun covering this program. Oh, it has been to just to watch the program. I, uh... I don't know if you want to call it rebuild, but to to be formed in Coach Bassett's image, because and, and rightfully so, the first couple of years she was coaching Lonnie's program, but she has incorporated her own style along with what she learned from the great Lonnie Cruz. I mean, this is this is firmly her program and her teams in the last couple three years. You've just seen it uh, blossom, and and uh, this team is. It, it, they are fun, and they're, they're fun to watch. They play. Um, we have an unbalanced schedule, Brad, this year. You're, the next the games this week at Ottawa, at St. Mary, it's the only time they're going to see those two teams. Um, the, the conference started that this year in preparation for Evangel um, coming into the conference as a full member next year. I'm, I'm, again, wrong place, wrong time. I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of the unbalanced schedule because it's going to favor some teams that you maybe don't have to play, say, play a Sterling twice or a Tabor twice. Um, it is it is what it is. They seem to have gotten over those slow starts, and that's that was huge. They, they're coming out more focused early on. And tough game at Ottawa Wednesday and, and St. Mary. Those are the two most improved teams from last year. Ottawa has always been a tough place to play so they got they're gonna have to bring their a game against two very improved teams to to stay ahead of bethany and that'll get us to the end of the first half through the conference um coming up on saturday well yeah and and you know like i said they're only three games ahead of those two teams and uh you know if if one of them wins let's say uh, ottawa wins now all of a sudden they're just two games behind uh, ottawa or saint mary and on top of that they would have the tiebreaker on sterling because they would have beaten them so uh, even more important, I think, yeah, I, this is a big week coming up. 
it really is for them. And, and again, those are uh, six and eight o'clock games on Wednesday and they're three and five, the early starts Saturday at home against St. Mary. Well, the men this past week, Brad, the, I'm sure you look at the final score of the Avila game. It's like, Oh wow. What a, what a nail biter, 85, 82 in overtime. Sterling had a 20 point lead, Brad, in that ball game in the second half. Um, and as you see, in a lot of places, a lot of games, you take the foot off the gas and give Avila credit. They took full advantage. They got back, got a one-point lead. But Sterling proved something again to me, Brad, the steps they have taken. That's a game they would have lost last year in regulation. They wouldn't have even gotten overtime. Uh, they got into overtime. And Cedric Rollerson, wow, what a game. Here's his line from the Avila game, Brad. Six of eight from the three-point line. He had 24 points. This is their point guard, seven rebounds, six assists, and three steals. Um, Darian Reed, 19 points, Will Thigpen, 15 and nine. But that they they showed me something there, Brad. That's just another step they've taken from last year because that's a loss last year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we've talked often about, you know, building this program. And – I, I think that this game kind of summarizes what this team is right now. They're going to look really good at times, but they're also going to look not so good at times. So we, I think we kind of saw a summary of what this team is in 45 minutes against Avila. Yeah, we did. And um, then they, of course, I don't think they were looking forward to it or past Avila or anything, but then they come back and play at home again against the number five team in the country, Oklahoma Westland. And, again, you see the final score, 83-71. Five minutes to go, Brad. This was still a six-point game. Um, They played their hearts out. Um, They they left it all out there on the court. Um, Just didn't get quite enough shots to go when they needed them. And and Oklahoma Westland, he runs five for five. I mean, they just keep coming at you, and their defense is really good. I mean, it's it's a legitimate top five, top ten team in the country uh, and I said they played their hearts out. Rollerson again leads them uh, with 15 points in that game. Teron Beatty off the bench, which they really desperately need bench scoring, um, gave them 11. And Cavante Kenny, um, the newcomer, the senior transfer, he had 10 points in that game. But they, they again, I think Coach uh, Stang put it best in our post game. He said, you know, he was so proud of the way those kids play. He says, but in the end, he says, we don't take moral victories. He said, yes, he says, I, we, we've improved. We were in that game, he says. But against these top teams, eventually, to take another step, we're going to have to find a way to, to, to stay in and win one of those games. So I think he put it in great perspective in our post game. Well, I would agree with uh, what Coach Stang said. And I, I was looking at the box score here and a couple of things I'm sure that he's banging his head against the wall again about uh, 12 for 22 from the free throw line. Yes. Uh, that's one thing. And Oklahoma Wesley had, had 18 offensive rebounds, while Sterling had 33 total rebounds. So uh, they got really worked over on the glass that night. But, you know, he's absolutely right that, hey, hey you know, on one hand, good. You know, we're, we're, that Sterling is starting to prove that, they, that they're taking the right steps, that they're building something. But at the same time, you know, let's not – 
you know, let's not pat each other on the back for losing a basketball game. You know, at some point we need to say we need to beat these teams. And, you know, kind of like what we did with the women's and talk about the standings. Um, you know, the top three have separated themselves in the KCAC with Oklahoma Wesleyan, K-Dub, and Southwestern. Uh, those three teams have a combined two losses right now. Then you got Bethel three games back and in fourth place. So, you know, the difference right now between Bethel in fourth and let's see, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ninth place Ottawa is just two games right now. So there's a big there's there's a big um, just cluster right there of teams, and I'm sure Coach Stang's probably thinking, you know what, get one of those wins right there, and that can maybe elevate you a little bit above the pack. Yeah, and that's what this this week to see how they can come down off of that emotional loss Saturday, go to an Ottawa team that's struggling this year compared to past years, but again. Always dangerous on their home floor. Sterling has struggled in conference on the road. I believe they're one and four um, on the conf- road games in conference this year. It's a winnable game. So is Saturday. So th- th- this is a week, like you said, there's what a four way tie for fifth right now at, at five and five. So it's, it's, it's a great week and a great opportunity for them, you know, to at least split or try to get maybe a couple of dubs this week and, uh, you know, try to put some pressure and heat on Bethel and maybe maybe try to break out of that pack. And I think it's a, it's going to be fascinating to watch this week. Right. And, you know, I, I, Sterling's the kind of team, Scott, that we kind of learned with Oklahoma Wesley. You know, they're, they're going to be good enough on, their, on the right day to, to hang in one of those games and maybe even spur an upset. But at the same time, I'm not sure they're at the point yet where they can even count a St. Mary or a Friends as an automatic victory. Now, Coach Sang also said, he said he felt like they were good enough to play and beat anybody in the conference. But on the other hand, he said the conference is so strong this year that they could lose to anybody in the conference on a given night. So, yeah, um, that need to bring the A game uh, both times this week. And we will see again, those games will be on 95.9, 540 on Wednesday and 240 on Saturday at Ottawa and then home to St. Mary. Well, let's move in, Brad, to the NFL as the regular season has wrapped up. And the Kansas City Chiefs, Brad, they got moved into the 330 slot on Saturday. Of course, right when I was doing uh, Warrior Basketball, so did not get to actually watch the game, had it up on my phone, followed it throughout and the Chiefs uh, pretty much dominate the Raiders 31-13 and I think somebody uh, I was looking at you know some stories and some takeaways from that game and somebody said and I think they said it right of the Chiefs last maybe four or five games this was their most complete game that they had played they were efficient on offense Uh, the defense had some big stands only gave up 13 points and special teams, I know it was only one field goal with extra points, but they made all of them. They didn't turn it over on special teams. I think it was a great way. They wrap up the number one seed, too. Um, I think that was a great way to go into a, an off week, which they need heading into the playoffs. Right. And, you know, since really since they lost that game to the Bengals, they're they're actually undefeated. With, with the exception of the Christmas Eve game against Seattle, 24 to 10, they had played three other games before they played the Raiders. They played Denver. They were up huge, I think 28 to th- uh, 28 to three in that game and almost blew it. 
Then they needed overtime to beat Houston. Then they barely beat the Broncos at home. So even though that they had not lost in Cincinnati, they really haven't been playing very well, I didn't think. And then they, you know, they go out and they beat then I saw some people at the Blue Dragon basketball game Saturday, and I just said, you know how nice it was to be able to sit and watch a fourth quarter of the Chiefs game and not be stressed about everything? I mean, it, it was it was just a nice change seeing Chad Heaney get in the game. And it, it, seriously, it, we haven't had one of those probably since the, the Rams game. Yeah, and I think they had to play the starters late in that game because they, they didn't really put that one away until late. As I recall, it was, what, 26 to 10 or something was the mm-hmm. final? Still right. Two-score game still at that point. Um, yeah, and, and, and like you said, in Denver, they led, I think it was 27 to nothing. Um, they led that game and nearly blew that. And Mahomes uh, didn't turn it over, 18 to 26, 202 yards, a passing touchdown. Um, Pacheco, they, they had several. Uh, Ronald Jones ran the ball well. He had 10 for 45 and a TD, 8 for 64 for Pacheco and a TD. And I, I, I think that part is huge going into the playoffs. They have to be balanced offensively, I think, to advance. And that, that was nice to see several backs get not just get involved and get carries, but have uh, good, efficient, productive carries. Right. You look at Pacheco and Jones, they combined for – uh, 109 yards on just 18 carries. I mean, Pacheco averaged eight yards a, uh, a carry, and uh, Jones four and a half yards per carry. And uh, you know, McKinnon's not really a, a a feature back or anything like that. Two carries for six yards, but you know, uh, even Kadarius Tony, you know, three carries for 26 yards and a touchdown. So, uh, yeah, the, you know, you're not going to get 18 carries for 109 yards every game. But you know, the Chiefs, if they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl and maybe win another Super Bowl, you know, they're going to have to be able to to give their running backs or the run game realistically about 20 carries per game at least if and, and they have to be able to run it efficiently and I think they can you know Pacheco's starting to prove he can get the tough yards I think the the short yard situations has been one of their biggest Achilles heels on offense but uh it seems like maybe Pacheco is going to be that guy that kind of guy who's going to be able to get those tough yards and, and Kadarius Tony uh, would, would I mean you look at the just the, if you just look at his numbers you know receiving was was two for 18 and three for 26 and a touchdown uh, rushing. But did it kind of feel like a little bit of a breakout game for him, for the Chiefs? And like I said, it, the, the numbers don't fly off the page, but to have him kind of look 100% healthy and show what he can do, do you think that was a, you think that was a big step for him with the Chiefs? Well, he's not going to be – a, a featured receiver. He's not going to put up Tyreek Hill numbers. He's not going to put up even Sammy Watkins type numbers, uh, you know, coming in so late. And of course the complicated playbook that Andy Reed has, but I do think that K- that Kadarius Tony could be a valuable asset to this offense because he's so fast. You have to respect that. And I think what you may see more of him is kind of like, although McCall Hardman's supposed to be okay for the playoffs, it's kind of more of that McCall Hardman kind of role where, you know, Hardman would catch maybe three or four passes a game, but also get two or three carries per game. So I just think that he, he just his speed just brings you something completely different. And, uh, you know, it, again, it, it, he's the kind of guy where if you can get him a collective five or six touches, whether it's uh, receptions or rushes per game, it's uh, it's just going to make the Chiefs even more dynamic on offense on offense. Um, okay, I mentioned the special teams, no, no gaffes on Saturday. Does it make you feel any more secure about um, those units heading into the playoffs? Oh, not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, Tommy Townsend's obviously a great punter, and he had another great game on Saturday. Uh, but boy, no, I mean, I guess I'll start feeling better if uh, the Chiefs go into the divisional round, and you know, the and but if Bucker if the Chiefs win and Bucker goes three for three with a fifty-plus yard field goal mixed in there, then I'll feel a little bit better. And as long as Kadarius Tony can just catch a punt, I mean, we're going to be, in, I think, in good shape. I mean, even if it has to fair catch it, um, at least you're not turning it over. Um, and then, of course, the the magical mind of Andy Reid, Brad. Have you ever seen anything such as the snow globe that they pulled? Uh, unfortunately, I had a holding call that called it back. But uh, have you ever ever seen anything quite like that other than on the playground? <laughs> no. No. Uh... I think it was my daughter who said something like, what are they doing? I kind of looked up and I missed the ring around the Rosie, but then I saw McKinnon take the snap and throw it back to Mahomes and throw it back over to Tony. And it was, uh, you know, I, 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 I love it. it. You know, just the, there's nothing wrong. You can have some fun out there without showing up the opponent. It was still the first half. You're not showing anybody up in the NFL in the first half by doing something like that. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, stop it. Yeah, and the Raiders uh, couldn't stop it. I saw one other thing, and this is hilarious, Brad. Um, I think I've got the number close, but if you take the the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Raiders, they spent in free agency a combined $585 million to shore up, improve their teams to try to beat and win the AFC West, Brad. $585 million. You know how many wins that got them combined against the Chiefs this year? Zero. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Money well spent there, huh? Well, and shoot, Scott, it might even worse because there's some talk that the Broncos may go after Sean Payton. And the Saints are asking for a first-round pick. I mean, the look, I, I understand the philosophy. Flags fly forever. You know, championship banners fly forever. But the I'm sorry. It's not going to happen for the Broncos. It's just not. I, I, I don't see it. Although Russell Wilson played much better in December and January, uh, I, don't th- I, think he, he, I think he'll get better next year. I do think the Broncos are close, but they're, all, they're also mortgaging the farm right now. I mean, they have no draft picks. They have no draft capital right now. The Chiefs have nothing but draft capital. They got one of the youngest defenses in the AFC. And, of course, they have that Mahomes guy. But, you know, the point being is that if the, if, the, if the Broncos were going to actually try to contend with the Chiefs, they had to do something better than 5-12 and 12 this year. It's, it, the, I think the Broncos, they may be able to sneak into the playoffs, uh, you know, these next couple of years, whatever. But. I think right now the Broncos are setting themselves up for a decade or more or more of futility. Uh, the Russell Wilson deal, Brad. I mean, he's he's going to have to improve dramatically for me to believe that that's nothing but going to tie their hands, like you said. They they have they have no draft picks. They gave up so much to get him, and he had an awful year, like you said. He he played be- better down the stretch, but still not anywhere to what they paid for him or what he's been in the past so uh denver woof denver could be quite a train wreck and i'm not going to lose any sleep over that i will fully admit that but we mentioned the chiefs with the win uh they secured the the number one seed brad so let's look at the playoffs we got a whole lot we can talk about here um let's just first look at the uh, playoff and talk about some of the um things that transpired that influenced the playoff well um on the afc of course the chiefs get the week off 
the two seed Buffalo will host the seven seed Miami. There's a chance that Miami may have to play Skylar Thompson again, the, their third string quarterback. They don't know if um, Tua or uh, oh great, I just brain Bridge, Bridgewater, Bridgewater. Either of those, one, both, or neither could be available. If neither of them can play, they have no chance, in my opinion, to win at Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore and Cincinnati are going to rematch. They just played yesterday. Um, Cincinnati's the three, Baltimore to six. A, a strong possibility Lamar Jackson will finally be back for Baltimore, but they're pretty mum on that. Uh, Jacksonville, back in the playoffs, they will host the Chargers, even though the Chargers um, have a better record. Uh, let's talk about the Chargers before we look at the NFC, Brad. Well, that could have been a disastrous decision playing their starters as much as they played them yesterday, Brad. Joey Bosa left the game with an injury. Mike Williams, arguably their best receiver, left the game with an injury. And um, Justin Herbert took a shot to the ribs. Although he wasn't listed on the injury report, um, he was really tender and um, moving around gingerly. What, what do you think of that decision? And it was a meaningless game for the Chargers. Um, I think they were in the late slot. Baltimore had already lost. They knew they were the five seed. What do you think about that decision? I think, um, first of all, I think Brandon Staley thinks he's smarter than what he actually is. I think he's kind of, kind of he, he thinks he's this like, you know, secret genius or what. I, I don't know. I don't think very much of him. Uh, I, he's a, he's a good coach. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and the chargers are a good team, but in that situation, you know, look. I know you have to. You're, you're preparing for the game, like you. You know, you have all to play for. Like, y'all, like you have to go out and win. But just go out and play in like the first first quarter or something like that, or maybe the first couple of series and call it good after that. Yeah. And the fact that he went out there and tried to win the game, and then at the very end decided to give up when they when they could when they had timeouts where they could have uh, maybe gotten the ball back late. It, it was just bizarre to me. I mean, what what, what are they doing? I, I just I, I don't get what Brandon Staley and what the Chargers were doing out there Sunday. Um, I went from thinking the Chargers, and they still look again. Scott, they're a good team. They are. I, I would not underestimate the Chargers un, under any circumstances. But basically, I went from thinking the Chargers uh, were going to definitely win this weekend against Jacksonville to thinking not only do I think that's uh, not a fifty-fifty game, I think Jacksonville is going to win right now. Well, that's that. That's a pick'em for me. I, I certainly, I certainly expect Buffalo to win. Um, even if Lamar Jackson comes back, Brad, um, not he hasn't played. I think they said that he's missed the last five games. How sharp is he going to be? I mean, I really look like it. Buffalo, Cincinnati are almost a lock for me for some reason. Jacksonville Chargers is kind of a kind of a pick 'em, and of course the Chiefs would get the um, lowest remaining seed. Meaning, if Miami would pull the upset in Buffalo, they would play Miami, so they play the seven six. Or the four or five. So um, it would be rematches of uh, Chargers or Jaguars if that is who they play, if Buffalo and Cincinnati win. What, what, do, you, what do you think about those potential matchups? I, I, boy, I cringe having to beat them having to beat the Chargers a third time. And, and it could happen. I mean, the Chargers, I think, are still good enough to win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. I, I, I really do. But, uh, boy, last week I just uh, – I really soured on them after that. And if they're banged up again, you know, there aren't many teams playing as well as Jacksonville right now. 
And uh, you can make the argument that they're really not actually playing well. Maybe not, but they're winning right now. I mean, that's all they're doing. They're, they're confident, and they're, they're, they've already beat the Chargers this year. Um, it was way back, I think, in September, so I, I don't think that really has anything to do with the game this weekend. But, uh, you know, I, 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 if Lamar Jackson does play, you know, Baltimore did play pretty hard against Cincinnati. I don't think that they will beat them. Uh, the wild card for me is Miami. You know, they actually gave the Bills two very good. They, they actually split this year, and both games were really, really close. Now, of course, that a lot of it is, is who's going to be a quarterback. If Skylar Thompson plays quarterback, it's probably going to be a bloodbath for the uh, for the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Uh, if, if Bridgewater can play, I mean, maybe a puncher's chance. I, 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 again, I don't think Tua is going to play. Obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if Tua ends up retiring. But uh, it's if, if Miami was in this game going healthy, I would think they'd have a chance. But – Again, if if, Schuyler, if they're rolling out Skylar Thompson this weekend, uh, Buffalo, uh, Josh Allen's on the bench in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with that. I, I got to watch some of that Miami game yesterday. They were extremely fortunate to beat the Jets. On the NFC side, uh, Jalen Hurts returned to the Eagles, and I guess uh, Hurts is exactly what he was doing after the game. They said he really toughed through an injury uh, against a Giants team that rested everybody. Um, They secured the number one seed. They get the bye. Uh, Seattle gets into the playoffs. They beat the Rams in overtime on a field goal. Thanks to the Lions beating the Packers last night, they travel to San Francisco, who's playing as maybe as good as anybody. The aforementioned Giants go to Minnesota. All right, Brad, a little rant coming up. The Cowboys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't even know where to start. They're going to go to Tampa Bay. And, Brad, let, let, let's just get this out of the way. That game should be in Dallas, okay? Tampa's 8-9. and nine. They do not deserve to host a playoff game. NFL, please change your format. Okay, we're done with that. On to the Cowboys. Mathematically, yes. Yesterday going in, they were a game behind the Eagles. They win. The Eagles lose. They had a chance to be the number one seed, get the bye. So uh, naturally, you you play your starters. Well, after a while, Brad, you know, what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Once they saw the Eagles get out in front of the Giants, the way they were playing yesterday, Brad, I say the heck with it. I get my guys out of there. Their, their head wasn't in it. He played Dak Prescott and those starters to the last whistle yesterday, even when they were down multiple scores at the end of that game. I mean, Dallas, as well as they had played, looked awful yesterday. Dak Prescott turned the ball over again. Their offense could do nothing against the commander. I mean, it was – I, I, I thought going into that game, they would beat the Commanders. Once it went south, they should have pulled them. I, I don't give them much of a chance. They play anyway like that against a Tampa Bay team, Brad, that is not good. Let's just say it. They're not a very good team this year. Uh, they'll never beat Tampa Bay in Tampa the way they played. That 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 was that was an awful display from the Cowboys yesterday. I kind of like what I just said about the four or five matchup in the AFC. I actually still favored Dallas slightly in this game, but I went from thinking this was going to be a pretty comfortable win for Dallas to thinking, I'm not sure anymore. I mean, yeah, it's on the road and you're playing a, you know, a, a Tampa team that still has a guy named Tom Brady, at quarterback who we all know he's not what he used to be, but he's still Tom Brady. And, uh, you know, I, 
that 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 of all the teams that played this past week, and I would have to say that the uh, the the Cowboys were by far the most disappointing, and it definitely kind of makes you think twice about maybe uh, betting on them in the playoffs. Oh, it was it was awful, Brad. I couldn't I couldn't watch it. I did not watch much of the of all the second half. Um, yeah, again, it should the game should be in Dallas. They need to do something with that reseeding, but well, that's the actually Monday night game, Brad. They don't do those two teams any any favors by uh, making them wait a day, and then the winner, of course, is going to get one less day to re- prepare and recover for the divisional round. Do you see any upsets in here? I, I certainly see San Francisco taking care of Seattle. Um, do you think the Giants and Minnesota played a really good game the first time around? Um, do you see that being a good game this go-around? Well, you know, also the thing about Seattle and San Francisco, I mean, it's a divisional game, so uh, obviously a lot more at stake. But I do think the 49ers are playing pretty well right now. Uh, probably after Philadelphia, the the favorite to uh, go to the Super Bowl for the NFC, I would probably say Philadelphia is definitely the favorite, but San Francisco is probably not too far behind them. And uh, Minnesota, I don't know what to make of them. They've looked so bad sometimes this year. I really don't. Uh, it, it just depends. I mean, they, they've won a lot of close games, and there is something to be said about winning some close games, but at some point, those close games go the other way, don't they? Mm-hmm, they do, and – yeah, Minnesota. Uh, I see. I wouldn't even at this point after my rant. I wouldn't consider Dallas beating Tampa Bay on the road an upset. I certainly would consider Seattle winning at San Francisco an upset. And I don't know how big of an upset I would consider the Giants beating the Vikings just because of what you said. The Vikings at times have, boy, they they played that awful first half. Who was that that they they got made the biggest comeback ever against? Um, it seemed like it was a Saturday game here a little while back. They got way behind. It was the the Colts. Yes, and they largest comeback ever. I mean, they play a half like that, and then play the second half. I'm like world beaters. Um, I'm just. I never have been. I probably will never get there. I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins being able to lead his team to the Super Bowl. No, Kirk Cousins is a uh, look. He's a fine quarterback. He's. He's probably going to lose you more games than he's going to win you games, though, right? Um, you know, so. I, I, Alex Smith was kind of a push. He, he wasn't going to win you many games, but he wasn't going to lose you many games either. I think Kirk Cousins is the kind of guy that's going to lose you more games than he's going to win you some games. And you know, I can't remember the last time a team that won 12, 13 games in the season like the Minnesota Vikings had have a net have a, a minus net point uh, differential this year. They've given up three more points than they've scored. I mean, how does a team who's won <laughs> nine more games than they've lost actually have given up more points than they've scored? That's yeah, that's a good one there. Um, so yeah, I think I think I think the Giants, Minnesota, Dallas, Tampa, I think could be really good games. I, I just I really like San Francisco um, over Seattle. Um, so the the Eagles would get again the lowest seed remaining. The real interesting thing, Brad, um, and we're going to get in all this right now, is on the AFC side. If it turns out, um, if things play out, if the seeds play out in the AFC, Brad, the Chiefs would play the Bills for the right to go to the Super Bowl. That game would be at a neutral site, to my knowledge, still yet to be determined. Because of our next subject, Brad, you and I were settling in. We recorded early a week ago on Monday because we both wanted to watch what we thought was going to be a fantastic game. And it started off like it. Cincinnati 
hosting Buffalo. And then we all witnessed, as the entire country did, the DeMar Hamlin injury um, in that first quarter where he um, made a tackle on a pass play, got up, and then collapsed. And as it turns out, um, that we didn't know at the time, as we find out later, he actually had to be resuscitated twice on the field um, and then was taken to a local Cincinnati um, medical facility um, where he is now. I think I saw he was actually discharged today, which is, you know, a, a, right at a week after this all occurred. And then the game turned out to be suspended and then canceled. So that gave Buffalo and Cincinnati one less game. So that's what the um, NFL has decided. We'll get into some of the other things they were speculating on, Brad. But you and I have both watched enough football. I have watched it and I have seen it live. I, I have seen numerous players have to be um, strapped to a backboard, their head immobile, you know, their face mask and helmet taken off and legs set because of broken legs. We've, we've all seen the ambulance come out. Um, at high school and college and professional games. I don't think any of us have have ever seen anything like this where um, a player, and still we don't really know for sure why it happened, but uh, the uh, aneurysm or heart attack or whatever you want to call it, um, that we actually almost witnessed somebody die um, in a football game. Well, it reminded me a lot of uh, when, during the European Soccer Championships last su- or two summers ago in summer t- 2021, I, I remember watching it live as it happened when Denmark's Christian Eriksen made a run down the field trying to get a ball, was kicked out of bounds. He went to one of his teammates to collect a throw in, and he just face planted on the field. And I remember watching it as it happened, and you know the camera is showing him laying on the field with his. It was just grotesque to to see. I I, I remember thinking he's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, his face was gray, and it was just, uh, just a horrible thing to look at. And then, you know, my wife saw it when it when it happened, and she goes, "That guy, what, what's happening?" I looked up, and I saw, you know, everyone circling around him. And then, of course, we saw the replays, and you know, my wife immediately said that he got hit in the heart. You know, that that's what happened. And um, gosh, it was, you know, obviously there's no precedent for anything that happened. I mean, it had been like 1935 since the NFL last suspended a game. And, uh, you know, just, you know, first of all, God be with him that he's that and, and great that he's out of the hospital already. It seems obvious he's going to not only survive, but uh, hopefully have a whole off season where his heart can heal. And if that's in fact what happened and uh, maybe get back onto the field next year. Uh, but boy, as far as, you know, I, I don't think that there was a good solution that everybody would have been happy, would have been, would have been happy with. I mean, personally for me, I think what I would have done is if the game had any meaning, which it turned out it would have, uh, to play it this weekend and just shove the playoffs back uh, one week. But again, that now you're saying, okay, well, you know, then the Chiefs could potentially have two weeks off if the Bills lose. And uh, you know, again, there's there was no there was no solution that was going to satisfy everybody. Yeah, I mean, in that in that situation, you could have eliminated the off week between the championship games and the Super Bowl. You know, there's always two weeks there. They could have done that to one week. That I don't know was very was talked about very much. The other two um, that I saw getting tossed around was uh, the first one, which thankfully they didn't go with because I hated it. Was that um, 
the number one seed or the team that had the best record percentage wise, which would have been the Chiefs, they would have had the choice of either being the number one seed or getting a buy. Meaning if they chose the buy, they would then be the two seed. They wouldn't get to have to play the first week. Buffalo then would have been the one seed. And then if they had both won in the divisional round, then Kansas City would have had to have gone to Buffalo for the championship game. Um, I, I hated that idea. And then, of course, what they went with as the way it played out. And to my understanding, it's only if Kansas City and Buffalo, for some reason it's Kansas City and Cincinnati, that game would be in Kansas City. But if Buffalo and the Chiefs both get to the AFC Championship uh they're going to play at a neutral site um, in unprecedented circumstances, Brad, it, it's probably the best solution. Um, I already know that they've contacted Indianapolis who have turned them down for that weekend. If that does happen, um, they had too many events already scheduled there. I haven't heard of another location as of yet, but um <sighs> mixed on that of course i'd love to see the game and it could be at arrowhead well the chiefs might not even get to the championship game or it might be cincinnati or somebody else we don't we don't know that but if it is cincinnati it'd be at arrowhead if it was the chiefs in buffalo um we don't know where it'll be yet yeah and, and let's be honest uh the probability of the chiefs playing the bills in the afc championship game just due to the nature of a single elimination tournament it, it's not it's not strong right whether that that means the bills lose or the chiefs lose i mean the probability that it's chiefs and bills is pretty low now that's not saying that it's, it's going to be chiefs bengals or bengals chargers it's it's just reality you know that that you know the bills have to win two the chiefs have to win one against quality competition or the I, i'm sorry the, the yeah did i said that right the bills have to win two the chiefs have to win one uh, all of them have got the against quality competition. And, you know, the law of averages just say it's just not very probable that it's going to happen. Now, it could happen. But, I mean, look at, you know, the, your best example is the NCAA tournament. I mean, you fill out your bracket, you think, oh, it's going to be one versus two. Well, it never really turns out like that. Now, does it? I mean, look at even all these years where the Chiefs have been in the AFC championship game. It's very rarely been one versus two. Yeah, it has. And uh, how about this one, Brad? It'd be a nice weather. How about Miami at Jacksonville? <laughs> yeah that would be that, that'd be something uh, i actually think that uh i actually think that the most likely destination for a uh, uh, neutral afc championship game would be uh i think it would be one of two places either los angeles or las vegas yeah because you obviously can't do anybody that's involved in the playoffs as far as if you're trying to get a um one of those locations so yeah i i'm sure they'll They'll let us know here as soon as they can get that secure. And like I said, they might not even need it. Um, but that's that's where everything sets with that. I think I'm just just thrilled that the Chiefs were able to get the one seat because obviously winning two games, as you mentioned, against the quality competition that's going to be in the playoffs, certainly a lot more doable than trying to win three games, which is what faces – all the other teams, and again, that that Demar Hamlin, where I, I did see something today that he was discharged um, from the hospital. So that's uh, that's the best news that you could see a week after um, the incident. And man, just you just so wish you, you could have seen that game play out because 
the way that started, Brad, that that had the earmarks of, uh, of an instant classic. It really did. Right. And uh, unlike uh, what I just said, how it seems un- unlikely that the Chiefs and Bills end up playing in this uh, AFC championship game just because the law of averages. Uh, on the other hand, the Bills and the Bengals just have to win once and they'll, have, and they'll get to play each other. Right? And uh, we'll get the game that we were kind of robbed of, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think, uh, honestly, if the Bills and Bengals play, it will be a classic. And honestly, Scott, I think the, I think the Bengals win. I, I thought they were going to win that Monday night game going in just because they, they were hot. It was at home. It was at Cincinnati. Um, yeah, love to see that rematch. Would really like to see. Well, I mean, the Chiefs fan in me again would love to see uh, Miami beat Buffalo and Baltimore beat Cincinnati. And <laughs> but uh, unlikely that that'll happen. But you never know. So NFL playoffs will get started again on Saturday this week, and you'll have games Saturday, Sunday, and then Dallas, Tampa Bay will be your. Monday night football should be a fun ride to the Super Bowl. Well, that is all of our regular topics for this week, Brad. So we'll move on to your final thoughts. Well, Scott, it's it's often too easy to make fun of the Missouri Tigers or, <laughs> you know, the Raiders or the Broncos. But, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> did you see the story about how the Raiders owner – I think Mark Davis is his name, correct? Yes. Al Al Davis' son. He looks like uh, Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if you saw what he said in the aftermath of the Chiefs' win in Vegas. I I did not. Basically, he was uh, basically he's upset right now because he thinks he didn't understand why the stadium is always full of visiting fans. Well, I'll tell you why, Mark Davis, while your stadium is full of visiting fans, because you are playing in Las Vegas, which is often one of the cheapest (laughs) destinations. And it's a very popular destination, obviously. Airline tickets are cheap as heck. Hotel rooms are cheap as heck. So everyone likes going to Vegas. I mean, is is, is he serious or is he just stupid or something? I could have told you long before that anybody who wants to move a professional team to Las Vegas this is, this is the risk that you take, that you're not going to have a true home court, home field, whatever kind of advantage. Uh, I think the one exception would probably be the hockey team that they have out there. But, uh, you know, if they move a Major League Baseball team to Vegas, I, again, I think you're running the risk, especially in the NFL, you're running the risk of not having a true home field advantage just because it's such an accessible city and people love going to Vegas. And okay, well now it's an excuse to go to Vegas, go, go, go root for the chiefs, go root for the chargers, go root for the Broncos, whoever they might be playing. I could have told you long before that they moved there, that it was not a good idea from a home field advantage perspective. The Raiders are never going to have a whole good home. Even if the Raiders get good again, laugh if you want, but I'm just saying if they ever get good again and they're in Vegas, they're still not going to have a true home field advantage. Scott, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I heard that the, the crowd split on Saturday was about 60-40 in favor of the Chiefs. Oh, wow. I mean, and I, I don't know why Mark Davis seems so confused by this, but when it's, it, anybody with half a brain could have told you, well, you know, the risk by going to Vegas here, Mark, is that we may not have much of a home field advantage that much. Eh, oh, well, that's, uh, that, that's for him to, to worry about, I guess. Well, I, I said it, and it's come true. When, when they move not one – but two teams back to Los Angeles 
when they didn't support the Rams and they left the first go around and went to St. Louis, who supported them way more than the Rams. So the, the, the geniuses thought, well, let's not just put one team in L.A. Let's put two. Hey, let's put them in the same stadium. And what happens for their home games, Brad? They're about 50-50. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, they have no home field advantage, just like the, the Raiders. When you move from Oakland, where you've got the fan base, a rabid fan base, and you go to Vegas, I don't know what I don't know what you're expecting. I, I really don't. Right, and you know, and, and the thing is, the Raiders actually have a pretty good na- national following. Uh, maybe not quite up there with the Steelers or anything like that, but you know, again, you're 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 playing in the AFC West. Denver's not very far away as it is. Uh, the Chargers aren't far away, and of course, Kansas City is one of the glory teams of the NFL right now. So you're pretty much giving up home field advantage in three games right there. And you know, if you're playing the what the Cowboys, if you're playing the Steelers, if you're playing the 49ers, I, I can't think of many teams that they would have a true home field advantage against Scott. Um, uh, I'm, I'm Houston? Not, I'm certainly not a divisional opponent. <laughs> uh, yeah, only- it's uh, – anyway, I, I just saw that story, and I'm just like, it, you know, Mark Davis has got to be stupid or something. Well, you know, did the apple fall very far from the tree? Just win, baby. <laughs> just win. Yeah. And, and what do they not do? They don't just... win. <laughs> like uh, I said, like I said, it's too easy. Yeah, they they are an easy target, uh, sure, but why not? They're easy to take pot shots at. Oh, for my final thoughts, Brad, I'm gonna kind of go back to the Demar Hamlin injury, Brad. That was such a such a shocking thing to watch. And Tuesday, uh, of course, all the sports shows and everything in the morning were were trying to make some some sense out of it and to what had happened. And I wanted to point out specifically Dan Orlovsky. And for some people who are not familiar with uh, um, Dan, he's on NFL Live. He also appears on a lot of the morning talk shows, First Take, Get Up, and all of those um, as an analyst, NFL analyst. Unfortunately for Dan, he's most known for being a quarterback with the Detroit Lions that ran out of the back of the end zone on a pass play, um, creating a safety, apparently not knowing where the end line was. And that is what he's most known for in his playing career, unfortunately. It was a pretty decent backup quarterback. But um, he was on NFL Live Tuesday, and people were saying, you know, you know we just – we, we don't know what to do. We don't want to say or whatever. And, and Dan on the air on set, he said, I know what to do. He said, uh, I'm going to pray for DeMar Hamlin. I'm going to do it out loud. And I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to close my eyes and, and say this prayer. And he said, he closed his eyes in front of a um, national TV audience and said the most genuine heartfelt prayer that, that I have seen in public in a long, long time. Um, and it just seemed it touched the other two on the set. And it just seemed to touch people around the country that not only um, was that sincere that he had the uh, wherewithal to, to do that, which is so frowned upon anymore in society that he that he do, did this so genuinely um, at the national TV audience. I mean, he, he moved to the top of my list. I, I really admire him um, for doing that and. He believes in the power of prayer. He believes in the healing power of God. And it was, it was refreshing to see. And, Dan, your, your aces in my book after that. 
I think my dad once said, sometimes all you have left is, uh, is faith, right? Uh, you know, he's, he's lost both his parents in his life. And, um, I, I just remember that's one thing he said, I think, um, gosh, I can't remember when exactly he said it or, or even what the circumstances were, but I just remember one thing he did say to me is, you know, sometimes all you have is faith and, uh, gosh, I, beyond uh, that, I do want to say that the coverage uh, uh, in the immediate aftermath that had been so difficult for all those people. And and like I like to kind of piggyback on what my dad said, I mean, really, what what can you really say at that point? And all you can in that situation, what all you can really do is turn to your faith, right? Absolutely, and that, that that's exactly what he did. And, and when people were searching for what to do, um, he. He had the perfect thing and and the best thing to do, and he, and he, and he did it. And, uh, yeah, he just – he impressed me, and I, I did not know that about Dan. I certainly do now. And, like I said, he's he's aces in my book, and he he impressed a, a lot of people. And I, I, and I think I'll remember that for a long time. I think as everybody else will. Right, and that's what we should be remembering the night for is how, very, uh, how the Bills and the – and the Bengals kind of came together and, uh, you know, and, and, the, and how they, you know, bonded and how fans went outside the state and the whole vigil. And, you know, it was just a, it was, it was a, obviously a horrible situation for Hamlin and for the bills and for the NFL, but you know, the, the immediate aftermath of how people came together and used the power of prayer and the power of camaraderie and the power of leaning on one another. Uh, that's what I'll remember from that uh, incident. Absolutely. My wife said one of the best things to me said, could you imagine being one of the announcers um, for that game? And it's like, no, because you, you no. do, you, you run, you, you're getting no new information. They keep coming back to you after commercial, after commercial. And, and, and you got nothing. I mean, you, you, all you know is what you saw and they're only speculation and you can't do that in a situation like that or any situation. So that, that, yeah, I thought that, Everybody handled that on air about as well as they possibly could have. Right. I mean, journalism school doesn't prepare you for stuff like that. And more than anything else, Scott, what I appreciated was uh, the compassion that everybody was showing, uh, except for maybe like Skip Bayless. But uh, I'm going to go on a rant about that if I let it bother me. But like Scott Van Pelt was such a professional back in the studio uh, that night. And I appreciate how Joe Buck and Troy Aikman handled it. Um, definitely was not an easy situation for the media to handle. It, it, it was not. And again, uh, well done, Dan Orlovsky. So again, if you want to look at our Ad Astra schedule, go to adastraradio.com and the sports page. It's up and ready for you there. But for this week's View from the Press Box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.